Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What's up, my friends? This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. Big Things Crewing is a company that we started. We offer services for ultramarathon runners, including pacing and crewing for your ultramarathon. And we also offer coaching plans and training plans if you need help just getting to the start line. We've got your back. I've got a great guest for you guys today. Um, as you can probably imagine, when someone gets in a skydiving accident, the chances of them surviving are pretty slim. Well, my guest today not only survived, but she found herself at the start line of the iconic Leadville 100 just a mere year later. She had broken her back, shattered her pelvis, and was pretty messed up when she hit the ground at 60 miles per hour. Rita never gave up. She immediately began fighting to get better. She diligently did her PT exercises and prescribed exercises, and before long she was hiking up the tallest mountain in Colorado with crutches. Yes, You heard that right. With crutches. I don't want to hear any excuses from you guys about how you can't get a workout in. She is pretty incredible. Uh, She's an extremely humble person, but her positivity just radiates. Uh, She still jumps out of planes. She still runs ultra marathons. Um, She is an aid station captain of one of the best aid stations at the Hard Rock 100. Uh, She's just a a fantastic human being, and I'm excited to introduce you guys to her. Uh, Listen, guys, I suck at interviewing. I'm no good at interviewing people. Um, I am no Barbara Walters, nor do I aspire to be. Uh, When we recorded this, we were having trouble with the audio. It took us about a half an hour to get it together. and So the first half of the podcast, I might have been a little bit annoyed. And, you know, that's my fault. I feel like uh, I was just sort of distracted. Maybe wasn't fully present. Uh, I feel like I fumbled the ball a couple times, but eventually was able to kind of recover and fall into a nice groove with uh, Rita, my guest. However, I am presenting this conversation unedited, unadulterated. It's in its raw form, and, uh, you know, I take responsibility, and it is what it is. Um, look, there's there's some emotion involved here in this conversation, and that's another thing. I'm I'm not always great at handling emotion, you know, all that well, especially when it's someone else's. Um, but my guest is just a really special person, and, and I was happy to 
facilitate a space for her to share something that's incredibly, you know, traumatic for her. It's something she rarely talks about and uh, it's taken her years to get to the point where she's at now. She's come a long way, both physically and emotionally. I'm really proud of her. I respect her. I admire her. And I think that you will too. So, without further ado, I'd like to present to you Miss Rita Kempfer. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. I Is this better? Um, check, check. Yeah? You know, it's weird. It's a little better. Okay. I think we're good. Okay. You can hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Ah, see, you just have an old piece of junk phone. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. Um, well, that only took a half an hour. I'm sorry about that. No, don't be. I'm glad that we could work something out. Uh, Technology. Yeah, my piece of junk phone, so. <laughs> no, no, it's good. At least, hey, we got it. It's all good. Modern technology. <laughs> uh, it is not my friend. If it's not just like push a button and say hello, then I really don't know how to fix it. So, all right, we, we got it to work. Good to go. <laughs> all right. Yes, I'm sorry. That took half an hour. <laughs> no, don't be. I am sorry as well. All right. Um, so how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm great. I am great. Um, remind me where you're calling from. I am in Wisconsin. I know that, but where in Wisconsin? Muskego. It is outside of Milwaukee. Ah, okay. And how long have you been in Muskego? Oh, I've been in Muskego about three years now. Since you moved back from Colorado? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Cool. What's life like in Muskego? Um, how do I even explain? It's pretty quiet, especially now during the coronavirus time. So, yeah. yeah. Do you have, a, you have a cat, right? I can think I can oh, hear no. it. Can you, can you hear it? That's totally cool. <laughs> <laughs> What's your cat's name? I forget. Well, I have two cats at this time. My cat's name is Ava and Bluebell. The one that she uh -huh. knew was Ashley. She passed away. Okay. Bluebell okay. is a new addition. She's a little traumatized cat that was homeless before this. And mm. yeah. And you rescued her? Yes. <laughs> that was nice. Um, I don't know if you knew that Roxy passed away as yeah. well. You had mentioned that in a text a couple months ago. I couldn't remember if I told you or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just... It was sad, of course, but um, I have a new puppy who is Dude. a little Roxy protege. <laughs> really? A little golden again? Yep, a little golden. She is about eight months right now, and I just took her for a run like a about an hour, hour and a half ago, and... Um, she's turning into a little mountain running dog. That's she's awesome. Yeah, for sure. If she can be half as good as Roxy, she'll be an amazing <laughs> kid. No kidding. Roxy was the best. Mm -hmm. I am 
currently wearing her dog tag around my neck on a necklace. That's so really sweet. <laughs> yes. Ah, so what else? Um, life in Muskego. How big is Muskego? I don't know. I... Comparative, comparative to like some other towns in Wisconsin that I know. It's smaller than Janesville. Like Beloit size? Is Beloit smaller than Janesville? Yeah. It's smaller than Beloit then even. Maybe half or a third of the size of Janesville, I would say. I picked it here because they have trails. There's a recreational trail right behind my house. And then there's a conservatory with some trails to run through. So that's how I picked Mosquito. In addition to where I was working, this was the closest place that I could find that had what I wanted. Ah, perfect. Minus mountains, of course. Of course, yeah. And um, I'm assuming you're um, still associated with the skydiving place in, was it uh, for Atkinson? Yes, correct. And correct. I am still associated with it. I worked out there on Saturday and oh, cool. And it's in Fort Atkinson. Cool. So Muskego, I'm just trying to picture it. So it's like between Madison and Milwaukee, right? No, it's more, it's. Do you know where East Troy is? Yeah. It's towards Milwaukee in between East Troy and Milwaukee. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, How is um, the coronavirus there? It's died down a little bit, but still definitely in full force, I would say. Really? There's, There's... I'm glad to see people lately, the last couple of days, have been wearing masks more often and some social distancing more than others. But I think that's just par for the course for where our country's at. For sure. Well, um, I heard someone compare compare it to, um, you know, the way they came out right away and they told us that it was going to be really, really bad and lots of people were going to die, which lots of people did die. But, you know, overall, they they told us it was going to be worse than it was. And I heard someone compare it to in the sixties when they released the reefer madness, um, uh, movie (laughs) and where, um, you know, they told you that it was so bad. And if you smoke weed, you're going to die or you're going to like rape people and you're going to turn into a crazy person. And then when people realize that wasn't true, then now they just don't believe anything. And so, so many people are just like going out without masks and they just don't want to listen at all. So Hmm. that's an interesting comparison. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I find myself kind of right in the middle. Like, you know, I, I, I wear a mask in public. If it makes people more comfortable, I put on a mask, but living here in Boulder, it's like, you know, it's not contagious outside especially if you have a distance of six or more feet from each other Mm -hmm. but you'll be running on the trails out here and there'll be people that are like eight to ten feet away from you who get way off the trail and put their mask (laughs) on think i if you don't have a mask on it's pretty insane yeah that's definitely an extreme there yeah yeah there's been a lot of people that died in Wisconsin? 
Yeah. There are Wisconsin at one point was a growing hot spot since it's so close to Chicago, but they did get it more under control. But okay. I have a lot of family in Florida though where it's not under control. And mm-hmm. even my stepmother's aunt is actually in the hospital currently with it. She's oh, really elderly. So mm-hmm. mm. um where how did she catch it? Do they know? Uh, They don't, but their retirement community was hosting dances, and she was at that, so Mm -hmm. Mm. either she caught it there, she may have exposed plenty of other people there. Yeah, Yeah. well, crazy times, huh? Yeah, yeah, these are... What do you make of all this? I mean, and how does this affect you and, and your profession? So, yeah, I don't get a lot of my information from the news, which might, I think, gives me a better perspective on it. We have a lot of health providers giving us information directly with numbers, with what the hospitals are going through, what they're looking at, and for quarantine and how we can assist people. So we have, since I mainly work with the Medicaid population, we've actually seen a huge increase in need for mental health as well as in a huge increase with people that have medicaid because so Mm. many have become unemployed so i have definitely been busy and have job security (laughs) um tell us what you do for a living i'm a marriage and family therapist i have a small private practice and Mm. then i also work for a healthcare organization okay um that's awesome i mean i'm sure um yeah i don't even know where to go with that marriage and what was it marriage and family therapist so in mental health which i love it i've done a lot of different things in my career and i just love working with people and hearing their stories yeah yeah well take us back let us like tell us where you grew up and um how you got in eventually how you got into running and skydiving okay so well I grew up in Wisconsin Mm -hmm. I have my parents and I have an older sister an older brother and then a younger brother so the four of us where in Wisconsin outside of Milwaukee okay Mm -hmm. yeah we were all really active as kids our parents definitely encouraged that running around, playing soccer, sports. But I didn't start running until high school. And I was actually really bad at it. I did hurdles. <laughs> I, <laughs> my dad told me a couple of years ago, he goes, I have no idea why you kept running because I always thought you were going to quit because you were so bad. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, somebody had to come in last place. <laughs> so. But, but I'm guessing you had fun. I did. I was actually never made it to state because I was good, but I, they taught, took me to state because I cheered so hard for the team that they're like, you're <laughs> indispensable. We need you to come to state to cheer. I'm like, yeah, I don't really like running, but I love cheering. So, awesome. That sounds like you. Uh-huh. Yep, that hasn't really <laughs> changed. <laughs> So in high school, you were doing hurdles. Were you um, doing running events as well or just the hurdles? Just the hurdles and like the 4x200, 4x100 sometimes. 
but I tried to somehow every time every year I got out of running anything longer than two miles I just didn't think I could do anything long distance until I got to college and one of my college friends was saying hey let's go for a run and so we went for a run and all of a sudden we did five miles and it felt like nothing wow that was a lot of fun where'd you go to college UW-Madison and what were you studying? Oh, I studied history and political science with a European studies focus. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you decided not to pursue that at all? <laughs> and then I went to grad school. So actually, yeah. I had volunteered in Russia uh, in college as, and then had traveled around Europe and did a short study abroad program. And when I was abroad, I fell in love with helping people even more and that was what got me into going for my master's in counseling marriage and family therapy okay Uh, sort of volunteer work were you doing in russia i worked in an orphanage so a group of us Mm -hmm. lived and worked in an orphanage and then we went to different orphanages in the city to help just clean them up fix them up in moscow most of the orphans go outside of the city for the summer to have more access to the outdoors and nature. And so we fixed it so that when the children came back, they had a better place to live. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you just fell in love with um, helping kids or helping people or all of the above? All of the above. A couple of years after that, I went back and did more volunteer work, but I was more involved in their family centers. That really mm. helped to maintain the family bond. And then I did more work in the orphanages, but the students were still, the kids were still there. So interacted with them even more. And was this all being done in the English language? Yes. And with an interpreter and a lot of hand gestures. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like counseling people with hand gestures? Well, I wasn't counseling. I was more so just helping, just a volunteer. I was still in in college, not in grad school yet. Okay. Um, So what else did you do in Europe then while you were traveling? I backpacked around. I didn't get into too much trouble, I will say. I met a lot of amazing people, ate a lot of really great food, saw a lot of cool places. I goodness where would I even start with those adventures (laughs) where did you backpack um I went from Russia to Czech Republic stayed in Prague for a while and then I went to visit some relatives of relatives in Slovakia my grandmother and my mother's side of the family they're all from Slovakia so I spent a bit of time in Slovakia living with some of the relatives of relatives and seen the Slovak countryside and seen where people have lived and grown up and it put things in perspective for my family how they were when I was younger and then after Slovakia let's see I went to Budapest and Vienna and I've been to Italy and Croatia and yeah Greece mm-hmm. and so when you say backpacking I'm sure you're taking a train and then getting off with a backpack and um you know, walking around, or was it all strictly backpacking? No, train. Train. And, yeah, what you said at the beginning. (laughs) 
not the kind of backpacking that I do now in the mountains and through hikes and stuff. Yeah. How long were you over there? Well, I took three different trips. Okay. So combined, I mean, one of the trips was about three months, but others were two to four weeks. The other two. And how old were you? The first time I went, I think I was 19 or 20 and then 22, I want to say. Okay. And then the third time was for my brother's wedding. He was a little scared because I flew into Zagreb and flew out of Athens. And he was like, Jay, you know, if you couldn't afford it to fly in and out of Athens, I would have helped you. Because I think I was still in grad school at that time. And I go, no, no, it's not that. I just wanted to make the most of it and see more. He's like, okay, how are you getting from Croatia to Greece? And I look, I'm like, um, actually, I don't know yet. (laughs) And he's like, what? I'm like, don't worry. I will be at your wedding. Don't worry. <laughs> so. That sounds like you, for sure. 100%. <laughs> yeah, you have to live life to the full and do that, things. You Even if... re-embody that. <laughs> so when I yeah. met you, and cor- correct me if I'm wrong, you might remember it differently, but the first time I met you was at... Uh, the skydiving place in Fort Atkinson. Yes. What's the name of that place? The skydiving place? It's called Wisconsin Skydiving Center. Wisconsin Skydiving Center. And I think I was wearing like an ultra running shirt of some sort. And, and you were like, hey, I just ran that race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the first 50 miler that I'd done and you had the shirt on. I'm like, hey, that's awesome. I know that race. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And your friend that you were with, you were like, well, she goes, well, Adam didn't just run it. He won it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got lucky that day. <laughs> yeah. And I came in second to last. <laughs> okay. But, it was but I finished. Miler. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So how did you discover ultra marathons? I mean, you said that you ran five miles with your friend in college and it seemed like nothing. How did it go from there to a 50 miler? Well, then my other friend in college, she got me to do a half marathon where I hadn't trained and I one block into it. I was having so much fun. I yelled, I'm like, I'm going to do a full marathon. And everybody around us looked at me like I was crazy. And a couple of people even made snide comments. But later that that year, my younger brother and I, we did do the Chicago Marathon together. Um, and the, that was the first time I had heard about an ultra because they send you all, you know, all those that stuff. And one magazine had a black and white photo of a guy on a trail. And it said, come do this 50 miler. I'm like, who in the world is doing a 50 miler? And what kind of a magazine nowadays puts a black and white photo? <laughs> but that was the first time I heard about him. And it, it just stuck with me, obviously, that little blurb. And that was so, an advertisement then, for the race with her, or it was a different 50 miler? I don't remember which one. I just remember thinking somebody actually runs 50 miles wow yeah and that was the first you'd ever heard of it Mm -hmm. 
And you yes, just it was. You had to do it? Pretty much. I just knew in the back of my head that I was going to. I hadn't even done a full marathon at that point. But I just <laughs> knew that I would end up doing that. <laughs> no so, clue how. Well, of course, in full Rita fashion, I mean, that's how you do things. <laughs> I mean, as long as mm-hmm. I've known you, you just fly by the seat of your pants and you don't really make a plan, but you always make it happen. Yeah. And then I learned from I, my attitude is the first time you ever do something, it's practice. And then after that, then you have a plan. <laughs> ah, okay. So, so where did this drive or desire come from? I mean, um, you don't have any friends that are running ultras. Um like you looked at at this 50 mile thing and you knew you had to do it like what attracted you to it and and like how and why and how did you come to this Uh, it was there why not (laughs) most of the things I've done in my life it's because I it was there yeah not because somebody else was going to do it with me that's actually something that I I like about myself is that I do things whether or not somebody else is going to go along with me. I mean, backpacking around Europe, I didn't, nobody else came with me, which gave my dad a heart attack, but I wasn't going to stop myself from going and doing it just because nobody else was, or I didn't know anybody that was or has. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, did you just research it first on your own or no research, just went out there and went for it? Well, I did do some researching. I had looked up different races in Wisconsin, and I had actually decided on a Door County race because it was in a cooler month. I think it was October, and it was more of a flat course. They said that it would be an easier run, and then I saw the Dances with Dirt 50-miler, and it was at Devil's Lake in the middle of July, and I thought, I love Devil's Lake. That's my favorite place to, to run that's where I want to do my first 50 miler. And even though it was known to be difficult, it was hot (laughs) and everything else. And how much time did you put into training? I felt that I put quite a bit in, I, but not nearly as much as I should have. (laughs) I mean, I was running quite a bit. The longest straight run that I did was 18 miles, but I had done Ragnar, and so I did 30 miles in two days that weekend. Okay. okay. So So you were kind of ready for it. You kind of knew what you were getting into. Kind of. <laughs> so um, what went wrong that day? Or did, did anything go wrong? Did everything go right? Or how you did know? it shake out? I mean, most people's first 50 miler is one big pain fest and you're just barely dragging yourself into the finish is that how <laughs> yours was yes and no i i just love talking to people and i think that was the first thing that i liked about the ultra is that people were so friendly compared to road races everybody's yeah. talking people are walking up the hills together encouraging one another and right off, I mean, right off the bat, I knew I was not going to win. I mean, maybe I could have tried to race you, but that wasn't going to happen. So I just put myself in the back of the pack and said, this is the pace and this is what I need to do. And I was going with this woman that had done a ton of running. So, and then we met up with two guys 
and all of them were really experienced and slow like me, but they just gave me a lot of tips and we had a pretty good pace going on. And then they all dropped to the 50K and convinced me to keep going and handed <laughs> me a ton of food and handed me some extra like supplements and things. They're like, do this, try this. And all of a sudden I had like seven people that are encouraging me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep going for the 50 miler instead of dropping to the 50K. <laughs> and But they had shown me a really good pacing technique that was working for me. So I just kept that up. And then kept running into people and trying to encourage them and keep them going because I like cheering for people. That's more of why I like running than actually running. It's the best way to cheer for people is if you run with them. Yeah. And yeah. And then I was in a, yes, I was in a world of pain at the end, but I was having so much fun that I sprinted down that last hill, came in and finished with a cartwheel. <laughs> And so did you go to this race by yourself or did you have friends that were there? Yeah, I went by, well, yeah, I had a friend that came to help kind of crew for me. Okay. We had no clue. I had done research and people said, bring all of your own food. You never know what the aid stations are going to have. So I had enough food for myself and probably 10 other people. <laughs> Except my friend missed me at like three aid stations and then found me. <laughs> And then my other friends end up, up coming and like traded off and they cheered me on through the end. So, okay. And then, so when your friends that dropped off to the 50 K and then you took off by yourself. So were you running by yourself the rest of the race? Or did you Most of friends? it. I made some new friends, but I mean, I was so slow at that point. Most people were pretty much done. That's... Yeah. Yeah. And then I would run into some other people and power hike and run with them and try to encourage them. But most of them actually dropped. So mm. I just kept going. And so like, tell me this. So when I, when I cheer for other people during a run that I'm doing, during a race that I'm doing, it fires me up too. So mm -hmm. the louder... I cheer for people and the more obnoxious I get and the more hands that I slap and the more I encourage people, it just kind of, it's like a little secret of mine that it also fuels me up. Is that, mm -hmm. is, is that how you use it or, or why are you cheering people on? Well, I think back from the, that's a wow, heavy question, multiple reasons. One, similar to what you're saying, yeah, it fires me up too. Uh -huh. I, I think back to doing Grandma's Marathon with Joel and Carlin. And oh, yeah. I don't know, somehow I met somebody else and I was running with them and lost Joel and Carlin. So I knew they were ahead of me and took off running faster. And I saw them and I can see Joel's head like slumped forward. I'm like, oh no, they're down. And so, of course, I start cheering for the people around us, all the spectators who start cheering, and it just becomes like, excited. And Joel and Carlin turn, and their heads are looking at me, and they're like, oh, we've been wondering where you were. We needed you and your energy. So it does. <laughs> it keeps me energized. Uh -huh. But even back at the beginning, I really just like people to yeah. succeed. So I like cheering for other people. Yeah. Well, I definitely get that sense about you. And, um, like you were there for me at 
Kettle 100 and had signs up out in the woods for me. <laughs> and you went to great lengths to cheer me on, which was awesome. I mean, it did, it did like raise my spirits. It made me feel better. And, uh, but I, I mean, I've seen you do it for other people too. And then you also volunteer and run an aid station at Hard Rock. And I mm -hmm. think that if there was an award for like the best uh you know like the best um i don't know what the word is for that <laughs> you would definitely win like you're the one who's not afraid to put on a costume and do cartwheels and scream at people and as they're coming to an aid station you're also not afraid to like jump up and give them a huge hug and just about tackle them and <laughs> I mean, i've seen you do all this stuff <laughs> <laughs> so, I know you have. <laughs> so if there was an award for like um the loudest cowbell, it, you you would definitely get that cowbell award. <laughs> and to me, that's a better compliment than if I actually probably won. <laughs> I mean, I'm never gonna win a race. So yeah, winning's not important. Um <laughs> I mean, is it just running that you get excited about and cheering when you're cheering people on, or are you that excited about you know, cheering people on in all aspects of life? Well, I mean, I think it's all aspects of life. I think that's why I do the job that I do mm. is that it's kind of my way of cheering people on. I just like watching people be the best that they can at whatever that is that they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I became a skydiving instructor. That's why I volunteered in Europe. That's yeah. So, it's a bigger compliment to me when I'm in a race running and people recognize me at the end and come up and thank me. I mean, one of my favorite races that I've done is the Pettit, their indoor run in the middle of the winter. And okay. it's, you know, I, you do a half marathon and a marathon the next day and it's just loops, 148, I think. But I love it because I get to cheer for everybody, the winners. <laughs> the people in last place like me and I just run around with like cheering for people <laughs> in a circle mm -hmm. and so I'm just trying to think like where does this come you are interested in like human nature and cheering people on but um, I mean and, like how does it relate to your job because in your job I'm sure that even though you're cheering people on and on their side I'm sure that there's also people that let you down. So how does that play into it? Like, do you get disappointed when people, how does that work? Well, I don't really feel, I don't, hmm, I don't think I've ever really felt as let down as often as maybe you think. I can remember one time okay. and I chewed the kid out it was one of those moments where if I was at an aid station and somebody didn't want to do it, but I knew they could, I probably would chew them out until I chewed this 17 year old out because he was dropping out of high school and it wasn't okay with me. I'd been working with him for four years. Mm. Like this is not how this story ends. Mm -hmm. And he had never, I'm like, you've never seen me this upset. You've seen my co-therapist upset like this, but never me. And he nodded. I go, so you know it's bad if you've made me mad. Yeah. But that was a Friday, and on Monday, he was back in school. Oh, wow. So, 
<laughs> I so mean, you didn't let me down after all. Exactly. <laughs> People, just because they may not finish the race or finish that portion of it, at least they showed up. At least they're trying. At least they're working on a goal. Yeah. And that isn't a letdown, even if they don't completely accomplish what they set out to do. Yeah. No, I agree 100% in, um, like, in the racing world, and especially in the ultramarathon world. I mean, because so many things have to go right for you to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, throughout the day, you're managing things that are going wrong and things you didn't think of and things you didn't plan on, and you just have to kind of make decisions on the fly. But in your job, um, if you're counseling people, I would think that at some point – you, you would get let down at, at some point. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'm, I don't, I, yeah, I guess there are some times I think what makes me struggle the most with let down is when I put so much into people and there it's more so like substance use just gets in the way over and over again, mm-hmm. or I'm yep. more so let down with the system that there are so few resources to truly help people. And it's very limited in how, because if people are so unique, but we have these cookie cutter ways and I'm like, oh, if only I could do this and maybe we could attempt, like, address it this way. And, but that's not an option. Yeah. And so how do you handle those disappointments? Oh, I talk to people and then I go for a run. (laughs) Smart. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know there's probably so much you can do, and I'm sure your hands feel like they're tied quite often. Yeah, often. Yeah. But you do what you can, and then you feel good about it, and you keep going. Good. And then I'm getting trained in some other, I'm getting some other certifications right now. A couples counseling Gottman certification and a somatic experiencing, because, well, there isn't a lot of options around here to help people with those, so I'm Maybe I can step in and fill that void a little bit. Good. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, the only reason I'm drilling you on this is because you've always seemed so positive to me. And I'm just trying to figure out like where it comes from or like how you got that positive. I mean, if I could tap into that somehow and remain that positive on a day-to-day basis, if I could like bottle it and drink it, I would do that because, um, I, you know, sometimes I get down on myself. Sometimes I get depressed. Sometimes I uh, get disappointed in other people. And um, I'm, I'm sure that you do too, but somehow or another, you seem to just be way more positive all the time. Well, thank you for that compliment. I actually got that compliment a couple of weeks ago, volunteering. I volunteer on Saturdays with a group in Milwaukee that works with under privileged, underserved area, handing out food and making sure people have basic necessities. And it's tough because these, a lot of these people have next to nothing. Yes, we live in the U.S., but we sometimes don't see that disparity. And yet they all are still chipping in and trying to help one another most of the time. Mm -hmm. So for me to try to help them, it's not really helping. They're giving so much already to one another. I just yeah, again, kind of see something and want to be a part of it. And I feed off of other people's energy a lot too. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think it's really cool. I think it's admirable. Um, I just got a flashback of running Kettle Moraine 100 and I'm puking my guts up and I can't keep any food down. I can't even keep water or ice down. I'm literally just throwing <laughs> up everything. And I come into an aid station yeah, and, you're there, and you're just smiling and kind of laughing at me. And you're like, well, show me how it's done, McRoberts. Show me how <laughs> it's done. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just like, ah, all right, I guess. <laughs> I mean, as much as I didn't want to hear that, that's what I needed to hear because you're you're right there saying it with a smile, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was funny because you left that aid station and the rest of your crew, they all are like, "We do not want to warm a hundred miler ever. That looks awful." <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking. I can't wait. This looks amazing. <laughs> I mean, why would why does that look amazing to you? What what would attract you about to to someone that's just throwing up and puking their guts up at an aid station? Why would that turn you on? It's the struggle. It's yeah. putting one foot in front of another. It's the discipline that it takes. I mean, I did that 50 miler with some training, but I realized that it didn't take as much discipline as I wanted, which is why I pursued a hundred miler because that made me have to train and made me actually have to watch what I eat and learn a whole nother skill set. So, so you enjoy the training aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, essentially when you're training for something, big like that bigger than you've ever done before you're exploring new parts of your personality you're exploring new avenues both physically and mentally so um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing that's what you're what, what you were digging right yeah. pushing yourself to be better yeah. and to see where your limits are testing them and seeing if you can supersede them yeah yeah well I'm with you um yeah it's not always easy, um, but yeah, no, I, I've seen you do that time and time again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is that, do you just feel like that's something you were born with though? Or is, was that a learned um, attribute? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Okay. I, my family are all kind of like that. We all push limits and we want to be, we like being busy. We enjoy doing things. Um, But I think also when I was a kid, I was really sick. I was in and out of the hospital a couple of times and they, yeah, just had to overcome some of that from a very early age, from like a year and a half and from, you know, second grade. And what were you sick with? I had meningitis when I was a year and a half old. Okay. And so I grew up hearing my parents and relatives say that, wow, I was supposed to die. You were supposed to be in a wheelchair or a vegetable your whole life. You were supposed to be mentally and physically retarded and thinking, well, I'm not. And I mean, you're a kid, but something about hearing those things was like made me stubborn of like, well, but I'm not. So I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do things differently and keep going at it. Okay. Yeah. How long were you in the hospital? You were probably in and out of the hospital. Um, at that time I was so young. I don't remember. I know I had to visit the doctor a lot. It's more stories that people told me versus things that I remember. But when I was in second grade, I was in the hospital, I think for like 
two weeks. Okay. So and what did your parents do for a living? Um, they're like blue collar workers. Yeah. Okay. So hard workers, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Huh. All right. Very well, hard workers. It's starting to make a little bit more sense. I'm just trying to figure out where <laughs> you get this drive from. Um, yeah, no, I mean, always admired you for sure. Um, because you know, you have different parts to your personality than I do of mine, you know, of course, like everyone does, but you know, I've always admired, um, the way you can just dig in to stuff like that. So I was just trying to figure out where it all came from. Hmm. Yeah. Well, when you figure it out, let me know. But I <laughs> <Okay>. do think, <laughs> I do think that's what actually made me better at the longer distances. Cause the farther I go, the better I am because I just keep going keep plugging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultras definitely give you that feeling of, um, um, like you said, it's almost like you're trying to be a better person, uh, both physically and mentally. And, um, I mean, I get it. I get it for sure. But before you were running, you were, um, you were into skydiving. Yeah. I started skydiving when I was in high school. And what brought that on? You know, my dad always wanted to go. And so when we were old enough, we decided to take him for Father's Day. And the Wisconsin Skydiving Center at that time, laws were different. And it was the only place that let me go as a minor. So we just made it a family event. And your whole family did it? Mm -hmm. Um, My dad, my sister, my younger brother, myself, and then my older brother came out a bit a couple weeks later. But yeah, after that, and then my dad and I went back a couple of weeks after that, and I was hooked. <laughs> and I couldn't keep going because I was a minor, but they let me start working there and learning as much as I could, and oh. that was my thing. So when you were 17, you got a job there? Yep. And what, what were you doing at first when you first started working there? Packing parachutes and helping to teach classes. Okay. It's hilarious so- watching a 100-pound girl try that 17 that looks like she's 12 teach adults classes on skydiving i bet (laughs) so you were teaching these classes on the ground though right yes yeah i wasn't allowed to keep jumping until i turned 18 okay well so okay so you're 17 years old you're working at a skydive place and you're probably the youngest person there i'm guessing Mm -hmm. for a couple years and probably the most excited and probably asking the most questions like no offense, but I'm picturing you as like the annoying little 17 year old girl that is almost too excited about this. And just, I was pretty excited, but I was pretty shy. Really? Okay. So I didn't say a lot. I more so stood in the back, did things and soaked it in. Yeah. Okay. Was uh, Bo uh, the owner of that place at that time? Bo and Alex. He okay. and his wife, yes. Okay, cool. So you've known them for years because yeah. he's still the owner, right? Yeah, they're still the owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And when you turned 18, what happened? Started skydiving on my own. Got <laughs> licensed. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. How does the licensing work? You have to do so many jumps before you can get a license or how does that work? Yes, you have to do so many supervised jumps. And back then it was not as rigorous or regulated as it is now. And back then you only had to do 20 jumps. Now it's 25. And then you have your A license, which is the beginner's level license. 
And then there's B, C, D, and yeah, other ratings. And you went all the way through all of those licenses? All of the ratings? Correct. Yeah. I didn't get some of the ratings, but I have most of them. Okay. Um, how many jumps have you done to this day? Do you know? About 2,300, I think. 22, 2,300. <laughs> that so, is pretty insane. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> From an outsider's perspective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so other people that work there have done that many jumps or more, I'm guessing, right? Like the owners? Yes. Yeah, how many mm-hmm. have they done? I don't even know, but it was probably close to 20,000 maybe. 20,000 jumps. Alex is probably like five or 6,000. Wow. That's crazy. But I don't, I don't know. And so um, were you doing some filmography at the skydiving place, like videoing people on their way down? Yes, I would do videos for people. And were you doing other jobs or was that it? Videos, coaching, accelerated free fall instructor. That's kind of somebody that wants to start jumping and get trained. They're the ones that teach them so that they're not spinning uncontrollably around their back. Okay. And then, yeah. Wow. How old are you now? Do you have to ask? Well, okay. How long have you been skydiving? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, then people can do the math, but 21 <laughs> years. So I'm wow. 38. 21 years of skydiving that's insane mm-hmm. wow yeah it's weird now because i've been skydiving longer than some of the new students it's really weird longer than oh their age you mean yes yeah how old they are mm-hmm. yeah i know wow so you're like an old veteran around that place now right yes wow. <laughs> and so um I know you had a pretty tragic accident while skydiving too. Um, would you mind getting into that story? I know it's sure. probably somewhat traumatic and probably not always comfortable to talk about, but um, I'm curious to hear as much as you're comfortable talking about. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing, but I kind of figured that would come up today, so I'm ready for it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> so that day, if I remember right, you were also doing some video work, right? Yes, I was actually supposed to be moving to Colorado the next week. Um, So I wasn't supposed to be there that day, but they asked me to come in to help instruct. And then, yeah, (laughs) so I did a couple. That's how all good stories start. I wasn't even supposed to be there that day. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, I was supposed to be packing. Okay. (laughs) Um, so I showed up and was helping them to did some instructional jumps. And then they had this guy that was going to be spreading his wife's ashes. She had passed away from cancer. And they said, Rita, you're going to do the, his video. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I have to get all my equipment ready. And where is he? And he was already geared up. They're like, they need to walk out to the plane like right now. So I grabbed my some of my stuff, most of it, but didn't bring my audible altimeter and started shooting the video of this man and his daughter, who was adorable at the time. Now she's in high school mm. and um, his wife's family was there. And yeah, it was just a really emotional moment. So oh gosh, I can only imagine. So emotional for him, right? I mean, were yeah, you feeling for... some of that emotion as well, since he was yes. spreading ashes? 
Yeah, it was interesting. So, yeah, we ended up walking out to the plane, and in the plane, he was crying, and the inst- his instructor started crying. And I've known the man that was the instructor for 21 years, and I don't think I've ever seen him cry before that time. And so to see both of them, mm-hmm. and then I started crying. <laughs> so in the yeah. airplane, it was on the way up. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a an tandem. assisted jump? Yes. A tandem jump? Okay. But this is something you had done probably hundreds Definitely. of times before, yes. right? Which. Okay, but you were like rushed getting into yeah. the plane? And you forgot your um, no. So I had all of it... my equipment, but I didn't take, it's an audible altimeter. It beeps in your ear at certain altitudes. And since I was going to go, okay. I switched helmets, but I didn't take the altimeter. And I even thought about that. Like, ah, do you need it? No, you're fine. You've done this jump how many times? It's a pain mm-hmm. in the butt to pull in and out and it'll waste time. So I purposefully left it, but okay. regretted it in there. Because we went to a different altitude, a little bit higher than we usually do. And yeah. And I knew my head was not quite in the right space as I was climbing out onto the wing because I missed my foothold. And like you said, I've done this hundreds of times. And I said that to my son. I'm like, comfort, get your head in the game. Come on. So. Uh And so do you jump first or does the guy that's. Well, we all are supposed to be leaving as a team. So I can get the video. Okay. So we all kind of leave as a unit. Okay. And so you're all emotional. You're all kind of crying, but you all jump anyways. Um, I'm guessing you had like a moment to sort of collect yourself or were you still emotional when you were jumping out of the plane? Well, that was that headspace moment where I was no longer crying, but my head was still not 100% in the jump. So... Right. And you said that um, you guys went to a, a higher couple altitude? Thousand feet, which isn't a big deal, but it throws off your internal clock just slightly. Yeah. yeah. Why to did you give guys him go a little bit more day? time to spread the ashes? Mm, okay. Had you ever done anything like this before with someone spreading ashes? I think so, but I can't remember exactly. Okay, so this isn't entirely like, this isn't an entirely new thing. Like this is occasionally, this it's occasionally. not very common, but occasionally it happens. I think it was. Yeah. I mean, okay. they're also a really special, amazing family that I've gotten to know since then. So I think mm-hmm. that would definitely played mm-hmm. a factor. For sure. And so you're filming this with like a I, GoPro? I have two different cameras on my helmet. So I fly and the okay. cameras are on my helmet and then you fly your body and position them so that you get it all. And so you're flying like right in mm-hmm. front of him, yes. videoing it? Um, and then what happened? They had a hard time put after they released the ashes, they had a hard time putting the tube back together. And in my head, I thought, it doesn't matter okay. if the tube's together or not. This is wasting time. But I didn't check right. my altimeter because I didn't want to mess up the video, which okay. is the cardinal rule. If any skydiver is listening to this, I know that's the cardinal rule. You always check your altimeter. 
but you Correct. have one on your wrist though, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I didn't, one. but I didn't want to look at my wrist to okay. look away from the video, which is not, I mean, that's the number one rule of mm-hmm. video flying that, yeah, that doesn't matter. You should always have altitude okay. awareness. Yeah. And I know this. Okay. And so you were higher than you anticipated or you were lower to closer to the ground well, than you thought you were? Then it, the story then progresses a little bit. I knew we were wasting time, but I justified it that we left at a higher altitude and all this. Well, the instructor, their pair, the okay. tandem pair, they ended up having a little problem with their gear. So they pulled the handle. Nothing happened. They pulled their handle again. Nothing happened. So he went to the other side and pulled the handle and finally their parachute released. So that also had a lot of times. By the time I did look at my altitude, I was very, very low. Okay. So they have um, handles on each side for, for the same parachute? parachute? Yes. For a tandem. Okay. Okay. And then so you realized you mm-hmm. were really close to the ground. I was like at, I think it was 1,900 feet. Oh, and then well, muscle memory took over, and I went What'd for my do? main parachute. And the second I put my hand on it and started to pull it out, I swore, which I, you know how often I swear, and I because I yeah <laughs> never, and I knew that I pulled the wrong parachute. I should have gone for my reserve, but it was already out of the pocket, so I let it go, and I waited, and all of a sudden, pop! I felt my reserve parachute go. And I looked up and I watched the reserve parachute go up and wrap around the main parachute as it was starting to open. And I'm like, that's not fair. That's not what I teach my students for what the two parachutes out looks like. Come on. So cracked a couple jokes. (laughs) So it was just like muscle memory for you to pull the reserve Um, or why did you pull the reserve? I didn't pull the reserve. I pulled the main. I wish I would have pulled the reserve. Okay, so it was just the main, but it was you yeah. had pulled it way too late. And I have what's called an automatic okay. activation device. So if you're falling at a certain mm-hmm. speed through a certain altitude, it registers it, and it will automatically cut your reserve cord and deploy your reserve parachute for you. It's more so if somebody, you know, heaven forbid, mm-hmm. gets knocked unconscious or something. I see. Okay. And so then that was deployed and got tangled Correct. up in your main parachute? So I basically had half a parachute maybe above my head, if not less. Okay. And like how many seconds was this? I mean, after you deployed your parachute and your reserve got tangled up in it, like how much time did you have to think? You have to act. (laughs) I I right away started to try to stop it from spinning because it was spinning under out of control. And no matter where I was going to uh-huh. hit the ground, I didn't want to be spinning the whole time. And um, then somehow, thank God, I saw the tree line on the corner of my eye. So I knew I wasn't landing in trees. But and I knew and therefore I also knew how high I was and that I was going to hit the ground really soon. So I break, picked up my feet because I didn't want to land with feet down. That would have just compressed everything and ruined mm-hmm. me even more. So I lifted up my feet and right. tried to slow it down as much as possible. And what was going through um, your head at that moment? 
Patrick always says, it's going to put you on your butt, meaning when you flare with your rear risers that it puts you on your butt. So <laughs> I was cracking another joke. I mean, I'm not smart enough to realize that I probably should be dead. <laughs> I just, yeah, cracked <laughs> jokes and did the best that I could and fought it the whole way down. So you weren't I probably panicking? should have, but no. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm just curious. I mean, I think most people would be freaking out and saying their last prayer and um, their whole life would be flashing before their eyes. And, um, but I'm not surprised that you are up there. Just well, to be honest, that's probably why very few people survive that accident. If maybe just one or two. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know how, how fast it was you were about going 60 miles an hour? Oh, and so yeah. you landed on your butt. And what's the next thing uh, you remember? Well, I remember landing on my butt and I remember thinking, okay, okay, can your feet move? Can you, I, my feet can move. Okay, I can, I'm not paralyzed. I'll be able to run again. God, God, I have Leadville in three weeks. This is so not fair. Because I had trained <laughs> so hard. Like I was doing... 80 to 105 miles a week for Leadville. Wow. Wow. And that's the first thing that came into your head. And then the second thing was, (laughs) oh my God, I'm in pain. I better get comfortable. Well, no, the second thing was look around because do I have to crawl my way out of here? Because I had landed in a cornfield and I'm like, okay, the corn's not so high. I don't have to crawl my way out. They'll be able to see me with with the, the parachutes or and the plane flying over, but yeah. yeah. So how far away did you land from um, your target area? Goodness, that you were I think that's to land? about three quarters of a mile. Okay. Wow. Which is normal for where the parachute opened and... up, but. Okay. And so you land on your butt and you wiggle your feet just to make mm-hmm. sure that your legs still work. And you're upset about Leadville. What, what happened? Well, after next? realizing that I didn't have to crawl my way out of the field, I I moved my body, which I know you're never supposed to do. But there was so much pain that I'm like, I have to relieve some of this. For some reason, in my head it just kept saying, "Relieve that pressure," which I now mm-hmm. hindsight, I think that was the best choice. Even though doctors have chewed me out for doing that, but. So I adjusted and got some of my equipment off of my head and like my parachute off so that when EMS arrived, they wouldn't cut it off. And then these two guys were sprinting through the field and they started yelling, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm here. I'm over here. And I said, okay, we called 911. I'm like, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And now can somebody call the drop zone for me? And they said, what? No, what? We can't. And I go, well, somebody just called 911, so somebody has a phone on them. And they go, oh, wait, yeah, we do. But we don't know the phone number. And I said, well, good thing I do know the phone number, so let's call the drop zone. And so then you called the drop Mm -hmm. zone. And what happened? Uh, I had to talk to Alex, tell her that they had called EMS and that I was going to be okay and don't worry about it. And she said they'd already sent one of our friends over to check, try to see where I was at. And I said, okay, well, 
Yeah, and I apologize for messing up the man's video. Of course. <laughs> and so the guys that ran over to you with the phone, um, were they just local guys? Yeah, just they, I think we're there? working in the other field and saw it. Okay. And did you know that you had broke your back or did you know anything was broken or um, what were your thoughts? What was going through your head about injuries and how your body um, was working? Well, I knew that I broke something, but I also knew that I was in denial because I didn't want to have broken things because I really wanted to run level. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't move. I knew that I was in so much pain and I just was, yeah. So you couldn't no. get off the ground. Yeah. And so in your conscious the whole time, did you ever lose consciousness? No, there's no time for that. Okay. No, yeah, right. you have to survive. And how long, how long did it take before the They were EMS there very quickly. I don't know time frame, okay. but they were very, there quickly. So. Mm -hmm. And what happened Well, there? they started saying things and yelling things. And I said, hold on a moment. My name is, and I said my name, my birthday, and all my information. I go, I know what you guys are going to ask me. I didn't lose consciousness. I remember everything. So you need to slow down and talk to me before you start telling or just barking orders. <laughs> like, because they, yeah, they weren't listening to me. I'm like, I can refuse treatment and services. You guys need to talk to me. So I'm like, I'm not dying on you guys yet. So come on. Which... <laughs> I mean, did that thought ever go through your head that you could possibly die? Or did you just not even that entertain wasn't that option? notion? I mean, yeah. I knew it could right. because I said that to them. Yeah. And the way that my yeah. body, my body was just doing things that it had never done before. So uh, yeah, like, I, like my vision was going in and out and um, I couldn't quite see everything clearly so i knew that different organs okay. were shutting down to protect other organs and i mean yeah i'm in mental health mm -hmm. but i'd worked in an er for how long at that point and had seen enough so so yeah but it was i felt like ems was more panicky than i was at that moment and i'm like you guys need if you guys are also going to do the best job for me you need to be calmer was part of my thought yeah yeah I'm so sure well, yeah, I mean, imagine being those EMS guys. I'm sure they were freaking out. Yeah, but it's not good trauma care. I mean, from the mental health side <laughs> of things, too, they also have to relax. I mean, I remember one of the guys standing there. I'm like, hey, Matt, come on. They're doing all the work. Why are you just standing there? Hold the bag for them. So That sounds exactly <laughs> like you. I am not surprised one bit. And you and you knew his name, didn't you? You called yeah. him by name. Yeah, of course. I'm not surprised well, at all. They're people. They... <laughs> uh, well, of course they're people, but you just fell out of a out of the sky 60 miles an hour and landed on your back or landed on your butt and broke your back. And here you are memorizing the EMS's names and um, telling them how to do their jobs. Well, I, I just want them to feel appreciated and known and you know, <laughs> recognized also yeah. i i get it and i'm not surprised at all i mean so then 
they scooped you up and put you on a truck and took you away or um, how did it go? Well, then they said that they were going to med flight me. I think that was when I chewed them out that they were rushing things. And then they asked me, well, can we med flight you? And I said, well, of course you're going to med flight me. They go, well, why'd you argue with us at the beginning? And I said, because you weren't listening to me. I'm like, I don't try to be difficult on purpose. It just happens naturally. So, but yeah, they put me on um, a backboard and, you know, had to stabilize me. And they ended up actually having to take me out of the field. I don't know, one of those four rut wheelers. You probably know more of the term, but they took me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, and then okay. they had stopped traffic on the on the highway, and that's where the helicopter was waiting, and yeah, on, on the, the highway. highway, and they didn't have much of a sense of okay. humor either, because I asked them, I'm like, hey, can I jump out of this helicopter? My landing won't be any worse than it was before. <laughs> were you cracking any of these guys up or were they just panicking and, and not laughing they were all very, taking their jobs very seriously which is probably for the best but <laughs> I thought yeah. I was hilarious looking back do you think that you were in shock um yes and no my body was going into uh-huh. shock I think that was part of why I was cracking the jokes is to calm myself yeah and to keep my uh-huh. wits to me, because there were going to yeah. be a lot of choices that I had and answers, questions to answer and things that I knew were coming up. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's obvious you were probably going into shock, but like one time, like a million years ago, I got into a car accident and ran into a wall and these guys came over to see if I was okay. And they're like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, and this is back when we listened to CDs in our car, you know, and all my CDs had fallen off the seat and gone down to the floor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I just have to pick up my CDs. And they're like, no, no. Are you sure you're okay? We got to, you got to call an ambulance. I'm like, hang on, man. I got to pick up my CDs. And now looking back, it like, it was, you know, kind of irrational. And I don't know why my brain thought that I had to pick up my CDs, but, um, I'm just wondering if, um, you know, it was kind of the same case for you, if you were, like, just what was, what was really happening? I think it was really me fighting to keep my wits, because I had to, I was answering questions the whole time. How much do you weigh? Where do you live? And then my friend had to come, and I was telling her what to do with my gear, and where to find my insurance card, and all this stuff at the drop zone, and how to get it to me, and um, then also telling them, you know, I need some pain meds, but don't give me a lot because I don't want to pass out. And a little goes a long way in trying to really keep focused. But humor is a great way to release, which I learned that now more and more with the somatic experiencing training. That's just a really great way for your body to release all of that energy from a trauma situation. It makes sense. Um, so I'm going to side note for a second. I want to come back to this. But if I remember right, um, you and I were crewing for some folks out on No One's 14. Mm-hmm. And we were driving up to Cloacy Lake, which is a really heinous, <laughs> gnarly four-wheel drive road. And 
I was like, yeah, we, we can drive it. It's just going to be ugly. And you were a little petrified of probably my driving along with the four wheel drive road. And you were singing <laughs> to preoccupy your mind. Yeah. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> yeah. That was a way to distract myself and to do some self-soothing. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what you I were think singing? It was Pineapple Princess. Probably. Oh, I don't. I don't think I know that song. Will no. you sing it for us? Maybe. Give me a drink. Half the drink is probably all I need, and I'll probably start singing it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so, where does your faith come into this? I mean, they're med flighting you to Madison. Yeah, I'm guessing. To UW Madison. Okay. I mean, at any time, um, did your faith come into this? Were you praying or, again, were you just not allowing your mind to go there? I don't think I was allowing my mind to go there. I wish I would say that my faith played more of a factor into this, but I, yeah. I, it definitely came up later and not in the positive sense. Yeah. It was more in one of those existential questions of, God, where are you and why did this happen? I mean, yes, I know I jumped out of right. a perfectly good airplane and I put myself in that risk, but yeah. 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 But you're just not allowing your mind to go to negative places. You're just staying positive and um, just moving forward. Well, and there was, there's just a lot to do in those moments. And I wanted to stay focused on the present and here and now. Yeah. And so they gave you pain meds, and they flew you to Madison? Yes. And how did that flight go? Do you remember any of it? It seemed really short, but I just remember laying there feeling very helpless. Um, because, and these people, well, these people are staring down at you, taking your vital signs constantly, but they have their oxygen masks on and goggles, and it, there wasn't a way to connect like I did with the EMS or the way that I do with every other people. So mm. I felt mm. very vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And um, were you ever able to connect with them? Did you ever meet any of them? No. 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 They're just like anonymous helpers. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, those are some so of the most dangerous jobs being in, a, in med flight. So. I can see why they wanted yeah, to definitely. keep their own professional distance, maybe, but. Yeah, yeah. And so you're conscious and you're trying to stay focused and trying to keep it together. Um, at what point did you let that go? Or did you ever? Um, I think I let it go a couple of days after the surgery. Okay. Um, so you got to the hospital, and then how long after that did you go into surgery? Well, you get to the hospital, and they have to do their whole trauma exam, and I've never had a rectal exam before, and nor do I ever want to want it again. Um, but it's, it's again, it's humbling because they cut off your clothes, and I, uh -huh. they couldn't give me any more pain meds. They needed me to stay conscious also. So... Okay. Why to answer the yeah. questions? Okay. And 
I don't remember what else. There were some things there that I are a bit vague. But yeah. And then they rushed you into surgery right no. away? No, then okay. they brought me up to, well, after being in the ER and going through all the tests and um, that was, yeah, very hard. But then they brought me up to the trauma floor and they had to have their consulting, their doctor that was on call come and consult and they had to see when they could fit me into surgery. So initially I was told that it would be two days before they would get me in. Whoa. Yeah, uh, I wasn't okay with that, and luckily they were able to get me in the next day. Uh-huh. And did you know the extent of your injuries yet? Yeah. They, um, in the ER, they had taken x-rays and MRIs and you know, all the scans that they can do, and because they had to see majority of people actually end up puncturing one of their organs with when they break their pelvis in their back the way I did. And they were shocked that I did not, which I think is actually due to me moving, because I think if I would have stayed in that position a little bit longer, I would have punctured something. But Mm -hmm. so I knew what I broke, but the extent of it isn't known necessarily until surgery when they go in there to try to piece it back together. Yeah. And... So you broke your, your back and your pelvis. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else? Isn't that enough? <laughs> it is enough, <laughs> but I feel like you broke ribs and a bunch of other stuff too. No, I because I lifted my legs on the landing, when I had said Patrick always says it puts you on your butt, I lifted my legs. And if I wouldn't have, I probably would have shattered my legs and compression shattered fractures all sure. over my back and things. But um, no, I broke my pelvis in more places than they could count and then my sacrum and my L5. So, yeah. Wow. And so then they got you into surgery the next day? Is that what you said? Or maybe it was the day after. I I feel like it was the next day, though. And so what's going through your mind then? I'm guessing you're getting visitors at the hospital, but... Um, and you're probably medicated up to mm-hmm. your eyeballs, but w- what's going through your head? Well, the night that it, or the day that it happened, uh, yes, I had a lot of visitors. I had a lot of visitors the entire time, which was incredible. But, and yeah, I was on a lot of meds. Um, I remember that night that I just wanted to drink some water and kept trying to convince my friends while I was on drugs to give me something to drink. <laughs> so every new person that walked in. <laughs> something to drink no alcohol. some water I just was thirsty because they won't let oh, me have anything water. by mouth before surgery oh okay oh just IV mm-hmm. or, or nothing at all probably right just at that point it was IV yeah okay okay gotcha wow and so yeah so you're just sitting there thirsty but I mean like what else is going through your head I mean you have to be having like an existential crisis, thinking about your life. Obviously, Leadville's on your mind. Um, what else is going on? Um, at that moment, my friends were just so amazing. They kept distracting me and distracting me and talking about things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I didn't have time to. And then by the time 
that I probably did. The medications had kicked in, and I basically fell asleep that night. And then surgery the next Mm -hmm. day, which you were not conscious for, I'm guessing. No, no, not at all. They had to intubate me. How long was the surgery? Um, Somewhere between six and eight hours. Wow. And what's the next thing you remember? Um, I remember waking up a little bit from surgery and my dad was sitting in the room just looking at me. Mm-hmm. And then I fell back asleep. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you were in and out of consciousness for a while. Yeah. Did you feel like you were okay? I mean, in the sense of, you know, you're going to make it through this thing or... Um, Uh, Were there any other thoughts in your head? Um, I didn't know what to think. I didn't, I knew I was in denial. I don't even know if what Uh they said. I just heard what I wanted to hear (laughs) and believed what Mm -hmm. I wanted to believe. And I'm like, my feet still work. My legs still work. I'm going to, I'll be all right. Yeah. But. And so what did the doctor tell you? Um, as far as the extent of your injuries and what you are or aren't going to be able to do with your life after this? I, I honestly, I don't remember. I know he said something and in my head, I heard I can run again in three to six months. So I I don't know if that's what he said or not, because my (laughs) friends say that a lot of the nurses and the staff talked to them separately as they would come visit and, we're preparing them like she may be paralyzed the rest of her life. So they right. were all prepared right. for that. Uh-huh. But uh, they didn't tell me that until months later. But the hospital is an awful yeah. place. I mean, I, I'm so grateful for the people in my life. They came, they decorated my room. Doctors and staff would come in and they would just look around it for probably 10 seconds initially every time they walked in just because it was it was so crazy (laughs) they're like this doesn't look like a hospital room there are plants there are things all over and I never had the door open because I didn't want to feel like I was in a hospital and um people kept a thousand visitors yeah I did and so much food People kept sending me candies and treats, but I couldn't eat anything for a week. And so all of the staff that would come in, I begged them to take things, which, you know, they're trained not to take things from patients. And I'm like, listen, please, I can't. This is the only way I can really say thank you for helping me. Yeah. So I just, yeah. And how long were you in the hospital? Um, well, I was on the trauma floor for a week and then moved down to ortho for a week. And then, I mean, I threatened the doctor and ended up, yeah, moving out for after two weeks. Okay. And so moving out, what what does that look like? I mean, I'm guessing you're in a wheelchair of some sort. Well, that was the difficult thing. I was being coached quite a bit by family and friends in the medical field on what to say because they probably would have kept me there much longer but I because physical therapy wasn't coming in and occupational therapy had already signed off on me after giving me some stretchy bands 
I'm like, that's not cutting it. This is not okay. (laughs) And so I'm like, listen, physical therapy needs to be in here by Tuesday at 10 a.m. to get me out of this bed because I hadn't left the bed. I'm like, or I will get myself out of the bed. Mm -hmm. And physical therapy was in there in two hours. So (laughs) because I just, I couldn't stay in that bed and they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, well, you're non-weight bearing and you're completely on your left side. You are flat to a 45 degree angle. We don't know how to help you. We've never put somebody on our, you know, elevated bed table that's non-weight bearing. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll be the first. <laughs> We're going to do this. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, I have my arms. We can do stuff. But it was a tough choice where to move to. Um, so I ended up going to a skilled nursing facility rehab. Let's be honest, it's a nursing home. I lived in a nursing home. So, oh, okay. But For how long? Uh, I was there almost a month. Okay. And during that month, you're just doing, like, physical therapy? Yeah, physical, a lot of physical yeah. therapy. I tried bribing some of the other residents with all the food because I'd lost, I was down to 90 pounds. And I tried bribing them with the extra food that I got for their extra PT time. But they caught on and yeah, shut down my side gig, my hustle. <laughs> and so what did physical therapy look like? Um, it looked like me going to sliding my body over to a table and the table would lift me so that I could be straight up and down or else I was flat uh, horizontally. Yeah. So I'd be strapped into the, onto this table and try not to pass out because my heart wasn't working that way anymore and then tell him when I started to get lightheaded and he would put me back down and we would slide back over and try to do different exercises to keep my legs somewhat moving. Wow. <clears throat> and so I, I thought that I heard somewhere along the way, and I don't think I heard this from you, so I'm not even sure if it's true, and I don't remember who I heard it from, but is it true that while you were in the hospital and the doctor told you you may never walk again, you told him or told somebody, bring me my computer so that I can sign up for Leadville next year? Um, I don't remember. Is that how it went? If I don't know exactly. It might be. My memory also may be skewed. I mean, but I, I didn't want, I was at, you know, registered for Leadville but I didn't want my spot to not be used. I mean, yeah. because there was a wait list and things. So I wanted to contact them and say, listen, I'm not going to be able to run. So I did ask to be able to talk to them and message them. And they said, well, do you just want to roll it over to next year? And in my head, I'm like, can I? And I'm like, well, yeah. what's there to lose? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I want to sign up for next year. <laughs> yes. Sign me up. Wow. Did you tell him what had happened? No, no, because I was also trying to tell the job that I was supposed to be starting that week and everybody else. And I mean, yeah. you lose your apartment, your job, your cat, your, I mean, your health, everything in a blink of an eye. And where do you start by piecing it back together? Well, for me, it was level, I guess, and the runs. Yeah. Wow. And so, and you also mentioned that, um, you know, after the accident and 
I don't know if it was a few days down the road that, um, you know, you had sort of a, a reckoning with God in your mind, like, why did this happen to me? Why am I here? Um, do you remember like when that took place or what that was like? I mean, I'm guessing that was a dark moment. That was a, well, I, it was late at night in the hospital and I just broke down crying and I was mm-hmm. crying and I remember the CNA came in and he chewed me out because I had started to refuse pain meds because they were giving me stuff that I'm like, this is too much for me. I need to, again, think, and I don't want to, it's so obvious how addicted people get on pain meds and house from hospitals and from injuries like mine. So he thought it was all because of pain. I'm like, it's a totally different kind of pain that you don't understand. Please leave my room. And I just cried. I don't, there weren't words necessarily. It was just emotions. Yeah. And you were just by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, when did that turn around for you? I mean, I'm guessing knowing you, you probably woke up the next day in a great mood and chipper and started joking around with doctors and nurses. <laughs> is that is that how it went or not quite that way? I wish it was that way. I mean, yeah, with, okay. with my faith, it was months and months. Um, it was I mean, yes, I turned around the next day and started trying to joke with the doctors, but I also woke up and I started to set my alarm half an hour before the doctors usually would round and I would brush my teeth and put on makeup and brush my hair. And because I'm like, well, this worked for females when they were in Nazi concentration camps. Um, I'm, I'm not in that bad of a position. So if they did it and just getting up and doing little things like this helped them that I'm going to do this here. So, but my reckoning with God probably didn't happen until maybe three or four months later with a conversation with my older brother. And he was just like, you need to stop asking those questions and just be with it because those are the questions that get people stuck. And it was that conversation with him that really shifted. And I just needed to, to just, yeah, just be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't easy, but that was probably wise words and what you needed to hear at that time, I'm guessing. Yeah. Wow. Unreal. And then how did your life shake out for the next few months after that? I mean, I, I remember talking to you on the phone when you were in the hospital and you were in pretty bad shape and trying to stay positive, but you know, I didn't see you for a matter of time. I'm not exactly sure how long after that. And, you know, I remember you carrying around a pillow with you and, you you know, you were sitting on the pillow, but like, what, what was life like for the next few months? It was um, tough. So after the nursing home, I moved in with some of my friends because I had, I was supposed to move out to Colorado, but that all got canceled or pushed back. And I lived with them during some rehab and I just did whatever I could on crutches and moving and waited for them to take the pins out. And then I moved out to Colorado and went to job interviews on crutches and tried to hide that I was on crutches and um, tried to piece my life back together. And I remember when I finally got cleared from the crutches, they said to take it easy And so um, the next day when I came back to Colorado, I took my crutches and started walking up 
the amphitheater amphitheater trail. That was me taking it easy. Of course. (laughs) But. And didn't you hike like up Mount Albert on crutches or something? Well, you know, there's a road. You can drive most of it. But then, yeah, you hike some of it. So I was with a friend. Yeah, I don't know. It just. Well, wait, up Mount Albert or did you go up Mount Evans? Oh, sorry. Evans. Yes. You're right. Okay. Sorry. Okay. No. Oh, but I did. Oh, yeah. We did do Albert. Um, Evans completely on crutches. Albert, I only used crutches on the way back down. How long did that take? All day. (laughs) I can only imagine. I mean, that hike is no joke. It's the tallest peak in Colorado. It's over 14,000 feet. Um, You know, a a healthy person hiking that, it's going to take them four or five hours. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably, (laughs) I think, a month after they cleared me from crutches. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. I I just wanted to be up there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hear you. And so was Evans before or after Albert? Evans was before. Evans was before I was even cleared off of the crutches. So you drove all the way to the top and then hiked that little summit hike up to the top? Yeah. Okay. And then later on you hiked up Albert. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it's a crazy story. I I can't even imagine. Um, And just like the way you stay positive through things just blows me away. Well, what else am I going to do? Throw a pity party and get fat and lazy? and have... Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. I mean, like, I get it. Like, what else are you going to do? But, yeah, it's still just it's still just kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I had to do something, and that was part of how I got into Hard Rock <laughs> and running the aid station. I was like, well, I don't know what I'll be capable of doing. I don't, right now, I can't even walk around the block, so I doubt I'll be, maybe I'll be able to do Hard Rock someday, but if not, I just want to help somebody else fulfill their dream. So I emailed them, and all of a sudden, I'm an aid station captain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So did did they need an aid station captain when you emailed them? Because... um that aid station wasn't really a fully like fully manned aid station before you took it over. Is that right? I think it had been fully manned for, I believe it was two years before I took it over. Okay. And um, I'm blanking on the name of that aid station right now. Burroughs Park. Burroughs. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so then uh, how, how long was it uh, after that, that you, that, you went out to Hard Rock to help out with that aid station. It was the next summer. The next summer. Okay. And so that is, but that is just a little while before uh, Leadville 100, right? Yeah. It's like a month or two before, a month before, I think. Mm -hmm. And you were still signed up for Leadville 100. Yep. And so a year after you fell out of the sky in a skydiving accident and broke your back, um, you came out to Leadville and got on the starting line. Yeah, that was a tough morning. <laughs> What's that? I said, yeah, that was a tough morning. 
Yeah, I remember. I mean, it was a tough morning, but it was, you know, tough in a good way. I mean, you were there to celebrate your accomplishment of how quickly you had healed. I mean, I remember there was definitely tears that morning, but I, I don't remember them being um, tears of sadness. No, I carried hand clappers with me the whole time because I'm like, <laughs> well, this is just a celebration lap. I I was in a wheelchair like, what, seven months before that or something? I don't even yeah. remember. And yeah. I'm like, the fact that I can even show up at the starting line any step after this is just a celebration lap. Yeah, no, it's just a miracle. So. And how far did you make it that year? Uh, 50 miles. Wow. Uh, yeah. I mean, you didn't make the 100 miles, but I mean, 50 miles after breaking your back and your pelvis is incredible. I felt so. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. And, and and it's not like you stopped by your own volition due to a, a pain or anything. Uh, Leadville has a really strict cutoff with their times. And um, you just timed out when you got down to Winfield or was it Twin Lakes the second time? It was Winfield. Winfield, yeah. Yeah, I knew I could make it up Hope Pass. I didn't know how I was getting down because of just the way my body was feeling and I was, yeah, yeah doubled over, but. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I remember being out there that year, you know, ready to crew, ready to pace, ready to do whatever I could to help and along with your friends. And, you know, we would just look at each other and shake our heads back and forth. Like, how, how is she even out there? Like, you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> unfathomable. <laughs> well, I probably would have like dropped at Twin Lakes the first time but you guys just kept me going and all of a sudden I'm back onto the trail I'm like wait a minute gosh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we couldn't let you stop and uh yeah. you know we just had to keep you moving before you changed your mind <laughs> right yeah wow mm-hmm. and I also sort of vaguely remember us going to the indoor skydive place um, here in De- uh, in Denver. Yeah. And I think that that was kind of the first time you were, you know, quote unquote, up in the air, or the closest thing you had done to skydiving up to that point, and that being sort of emotional for you as well. Um, yeah. What was that like? Yeah, wow. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, that was tough. I just kind of remember being a little antisocial and a little overwhelmed. Yeah. So my brain is kind of spacey that night. With what? Like your accident or um, was your body hurting or what was happening? It was more so a question of how is it going to feel when I get in there? Like my body, will I be able to do this again? Is this an option? Right. So can I I fly still? Yeah, well, you could. I mean, you jumped in there just like a pro and you were hanging out with all the people that work there doing all these tricks and stunts and stuff in there. And I'm a complete newbie to all that stuff. So I'm just barely, you know, just barely making it happen. Yeah, your beard uh, was hilarious. (laughs) My beard was flapping around. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And you're in there like doing stunts and flips and holding on to people's hands and doing all this crazy skydiving stuff. I don't even know what you were doing. And 
Um, <laughs> you make me sound a lot was, cooler than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty amazing to watch, but yeah, I remember being somewhat emotional too. And I mean, yeah, I just can't even imagine um, what what you were going through. Um, when what was when was the first time you actually jumped out of a plane again? It was about a year after the accident. Wow. Yeah, I just did a, well, it probably wasn't very wise because I still had pins in me, but <laughs> um, yeah, it was just a hop and pop from a low altitude because I didn't want a full jostle to my body and back with an opening shock, yeah. like the when the parachute opens up, okay. but I remember I was really nervous. I was scared, Yeah. and then I saw my friend Tasha climb out on the wing. And she turned around and looked at me and gave me this big geeking smile. And all of a sudden, all of my fear just washed away. And I'm like, yes, this is why I do this. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. She said she did that on purpose. (laughs) Good. Yeah, good for her. I mean, it's just crazy. So, like, how many jumps have you done since then? Do you have any idea? A couple hundred. A couple hundred since then. Maybe two three hundred i mean how has how has your accident changed um your skydiving i can't do as many jumps in a day as i used to so my back just gets really tired and sore okay i'm more cautious on the landings and yeah how many jumps did you do a day before sometimes up to 10 okay and now you're just doing a couple like three, four is tops. Okay. And are you still doing video work for them or um, what sorts of things are you doing there? No, I haven't done a lot of video work, um, mainly coaching. My life also has kind of shifted a little bit with just running more and doing other things and family and friends. I'm, yeah. you know, a little bit older. Yeah. But yeah, yeah working the desk and yeah, it's more so just helping people that are younger and let them get into it that they can shine now that's fine for sure yeah do you share your story very often with like customers at at um the actual skydive place i mean well if you share your story you're going to scare people they're not going to want to jump out of a plane (laughs) but i mean does it come up often like hey that girl had a really bad accident or is it something you just kind of keep quiet I don't talk about it much. I keep yeah. it pretty quiet. Yeah. Last year, one of my friends had an accident, and um, that was probably the most that I talked about it was because of trying to help, feeling like I could help maybe by sharing more. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's your uh, health like these days? Um, you know, I've had some really great physical therapists, some not so great ones, but it's been pretty good lately there are some days that it's tough to walk like today I did a just what a three and a half mile hike but I had a back brace on and my trekking poles Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. because today was a rough day but you know what tomorrow might be better is that Um, how it is some days are up some days are down yeah. yeah yeah I get really tired after some runs like that's been the hardest thing for getting back into like 50ks and 50 milers is that I just want to take a nap. It's an overwhelming sense of exhaustion. Mm, yeah. yeah. But, 
but the trails they're calling. <sighs> they always are, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And you're still doing physical therapy? No, I've been doing more work with like a personal trainer who I've gotten to know and he's gotten to know my injuries and my limitations. Okay. But you're still doing exercises focused on um, like building strength up and uh, getting better, healing up? Yeah, building strength and trying to use my body so that it's less of an impact on my pelvis and my back and what else can I do? So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Hmm. Wow. I mean, you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're never going to be 100%. I mean, I guess that's more of a question. Are you ever going to be 100%? Are I think you... I have a new 100%. Okay. I'll never be the old 100%, but it, got it. Yeah. Okay. That's a great way of looking at it. Wow. Well, what does the future hold? Well, you still have to finish Nolan's. So I, <laughs> I guess yes, I'm going to have to go out to Colorado and crew and chew you out a little bit oh, and gosh. watch both of us throw up in a mountain. Oh, yes, definitely. I know you were out there for a lot of Nolan's attempts. Um, and um, this weekend, I'm going out to crew some other folks. Um, one of, well, you know, mm. John Sharp. Mm hmm. He yeah. is. Uh, he put together a seven-peak training thing that's going on this weekend, and another guy, John Denise, is doing a full attempt this weekend if the weather cooperates. Um, so, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be out there helping and crewing the both of them this year. Helping, hopefully, they'll uh, you know achieve their their big goals. Um, but yeah, I know it's still on my list. It's still kind of hanging over my head. <laughs> all right well i'll be there whenever you're ready but for me myself i really just want to get um this winter was pretty rough just with work and busyness of life so i am building up my miles and hopefully next year when more races open up i will be back doing 50 k's and 50 milers nice. i don't know if i'll ever be able to do 100 again but yeah 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 I mean, it's pretty incredible, Kemfort. I mean, just uh, being able to come back and, and doing anything at this point after. <laughs> Forgive me. Is there any video of your accident? Uh, there are some photos. Have you ever looked at them? No, I have them. They're in my wallet. And you've never, they're in your wallet? Yeah. Like the, the disc from the GoPros? Yeah. You've never looked at them? No, I meant to, but honestly, then I forgot, and now my computer doesn't have the same drive. <laughs> I'd have to go somewhere. <laughs> or maybe so, it does. I mean, it must not really be important to you then, right? Um, I don't know if I really want to relive it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mm. I totally get it. Um, I think I would want to look at them, uh, but I, I totally get it. I mean, we, was it, was this like the most traumatic thing you've ever been through? Is that how you look at it, or how do you look at it? It's definitely a turning point in my life. So I've seen the world in a whole different way. 
because when you're in a wheelchair, you get these looks of, I couldn't point my finger on it for a while, but it was pity. Okay. I mean, when just feeling invisible and people walking past you or not holding a door or yeah, but it's, it's interesting. And then just knowing what I went through in the hospital and how awful being in a hospital is or living in a nursing home at a young age, not many people go through that. So I, it shifted my perspective on how people interact with one another and taking care of those around us. So, um, physically it's shifted how I do things, how long I can sit, how long can I stand Mm -hmm. and movements and yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just changed like physically, like I'm just trying to put myself in your position. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't even put myself in your position. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's, yeah. I mean, I still carry around a pillow every once in a while to sit on, not as often, but yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Is it like a hemorrhoid pillow? <laughs> I have so many different kinds now. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have a selection. A selection of pillows. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. just the hemorrhoid pillow? No, nope, based off of my mood. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, that's a crazy story. I mean, have you ever thought about like, like writing it down or do you just not really want to go there? Um, a lot of people have encouraged me to write it down and I have, I have different sections of it written down. So, but it seems to still be unfolding. For sure. I'm sure it probably will for years. Understandably so. So. Have you had to seek out any sort of therapy or anything to get around this mentally? That's part of why I chose to do some somatic experiencing training because they require personal work. And I wanted to do it, do the personal work, but I also wanted to have it as a tool to use for somebody else. So I've been doing some more personal work on that and kind of, yeah, releasing some of that trauma. So somatic, what does that mean? um, So processing therapy, but using your brain and body interconnection versus just talking about it. Okay. So actually, the guy that came up with it, he, they are out of Boulder. Oh, okay. Okay. Wow. Uh, I, yeah, it's just, it's an incredible story. I, I don't even know where to go from here, really. I mean, do you have anything else that you want to add or, or talk about or um, anything else to note? Um, I don't think so. I don't know if somebody's even going to listen this long. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I know the two of us babbling. Right. (laughs) Do you think you'll ever go back and revisit those pictures? Yeah. 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 Just like years down the road. Yeah, I guess when it comes up and I'm in the right place and the right frame of mind, then and with the right people. Yeah. So. So you'll be with someone when you're looking at the pictures rather than by yourself? I think I would like that. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. 
do you have any fears when you're jumping out of a plane now or does any of this flash through your mind do you have like nightmares or bad flashbacks or anything like that wow that's a tough question um most of the nightmares are gone okay and they were pretty significant again last year when my friend had his accident but yeah more so when i'm out at the drop zone it's listening to people and hearing well i'll do this or i'll do that when that happens and it's like "Mm, you never really know what you're gonna do unless you're in that moment i even had a guy like a last maybe a year after my accident well if i had two parachutes out i would cut it away cut it away and i'm like you don't know you weren't there you have no idea there's no way i could because of the way they were wrapped and entangled but he didn't hear that but then he did actually have two parachutes out and he looked at me and he's like, I'm like, so what did you do? And he goes, I kept them both. And I'm like, all I said was, I'm really glad you're okay. Yeah. So, because you don't know. Your friend that was in an accident, is that someone different than our mutual friend that was in uh, an unfortunate skydiving accident? Yes, a different person. Oh, wow. So how many people do you know that have been in skydiving accidents? Um, Less than that skydive. Less than what? (laughs) Less than the number of people that I know that skydive. Oh, God, I hope so. (laughs) No, I probably, I mean, there's our mutual friend, that gentleman, maybe half a dozen. Wow. A dozen tops. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on. Yeah. And our mutual friend, Logan Polfus, wasn't quite as lucky. Um, no, sadly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know the story there. And on the way up to the funeral, I stopped and had coffee with you and cried at you for a good half an hour about that. Well, that's what friends are for. Yeah, definitely. But I just feel like you're, I don't know, so familiar with this. I, I'm surprised that you continue jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. I mean, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. Well, and some psychologist somewhere can probably diagnose me. That's fine. But it's something that I love. And if somebody hurt themselves doing a less intense sport like basketball, you wouldn't tell them to stop. So I look at it as a sport and yes, the intensity and the yeah dangerous factor is more serious, but do you take extra precautions now? Do you stop and double check all of your equipment or do you just kind of have a routine that's all secondhand nature now that you don't really put too much thought into? Oh no, I definitely take more precautions and I'm never going to let myself be rushed again like that. And yeah. I'll just, stay off the load and yeah it's not worth it well you're an inspiration (laughs) um i know that you kind of keep your story quiet and um if if i can guess correctly probably most of the people that you're associated with barely know the story and um but i mean it's it's pretty it's pretty inspiring for sure I mean, I understand why you would keep it quiet and not want to relive it over and over again. But, um, you know, the people that do know you and know about 
what you've been through or even know a small inkling of what you've been through are really impressed with the way you handled yourself. And, um, you know, obviously we're super glad that you're okay and that you are healing and getting better. And, um, you're truly a very humble inspiration to all of us. Well, that means a lot. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah it's not fun sharing it, but it, hey, if it does inspire somebody that's listening, then, well, I guess it's been worth a little something and it's taken me a long time to be able to say that. Yeah, no, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know where to go with it. It's, I don't know. What else, Camfort? <laughs> I think that's all. <laughs> that's all? Okay. <laughs> you feel okay? How do you feel now? I feel fine. I was a little bit nervous while we were talking, but yeah. now yeah, I'm all right. Okay, good. I well, definitely started fidgeting a little bit more and <laughs> touching things and petting my cat. And <laughs> yeah, I, I think I heard some cat purring going on there at one point. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I hope you uh, feel okay sharing your story. And I hope that it was maybe a little bit of steam out of the boiling teapot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just uh, glad you're okay and, and glad you're still doing what you're doing. I mean, this hasn't, I mean, I guess it may have slowed you down a tiny bit, but it hasn't slowed down your, the way you live your life. You know, you're still get out there getting after it. You're still jumping. You're still running. Um yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, well, talk about do big things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's the epitome right there, right? I guess so. I don't look at it like that, but yeah, I guess so. No, I know. I, I'm sure you <laughs> wouldn't, but yeah. Well, well, thank you for having me tonight. No, thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. And I'm sure it will touch, um, you know, whoever listens to this and keep on being an inspiration and inspiring other people. All right. Sounds good. Have a good night. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Wow, there it is. I'm curious, what do you guys think? I mean, it's an incredible story all, all the way around. She's just a really, you know, quiet, humble person with an incredible story. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, she's a quiet, humble person, but yet she's the... Um, you know, the loudest person at an aid station, the biggest, uh, your, your biggest cheerleader. Um, you know, she, she runs this aid station at Hard Rock and so runners will be coming in and, you know, she's got this little book. Okay. Number 43 is coming in. She'll look in the book. Who's number 43. Okay. His name is Mike. Mike, I'm so happy to see you. She'll just charge Mike and just about tackle him, give him a huge hug. Mike, we've been waiting for you. Oh, it's so good to see you. And, you know, these runners are looking at her like, do I know you? I mean, so it's like she she's humble, but she's like 
the biggest cheerleader in the world. So she is, she's an anomaly and uh, what a great story. I mean, I'm just so thankful that, that she's okay. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the story blows me away, but you know what really, really got me? I don't know why, but what got me right in the guts was that she has those pictures that she hasn't looked at yet and she carries them around in her wallet you know it's like a disc from the gopros that are on the helmets that these skydivers wear and uh she carries them around with her and she's never looked at those pictures i don't know why that really got me like i mean i would definitely want to look at the pictures but you know it's like the most traumatic thing I don't know. I mean, how do, you, how do you put something like that into words? I don't even know, but that just haunts me. It's crazy. But anyways, um, I'd like to hear what you guys thought. Um, yeah, so another one for the books. Um, great interview, great human being. Hope you guys dug it. Uh, you can find me at Big Things Crewing. Uh, our website is big-things-crewing.com. And uh, we would like to help you with your ultramarathon needs, pacing, crewing, uh, or coaching, training plans, whatever you got. Even if you're not trained for an ultra, you just want to drop a few pounds, get in shape, want to start running, we can help out. So hit us up. And that's all I got for you guys this week. Hope you have a great week. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Life is short. Do big things, baby.